Okay, good evening, everyone. I uh, welcome you to our fall semester of Roots, and I'm glad you're here. I'm excited, a little nervous too. It's an interesting topic um, to talk about, something I've never taught on before, but I'm excited about the topic and the subject matter and what it reveals as far as mysteries that we're going to talk about in these next 12 weeks. So uh, let me give you a couple of uh, bits of information as we begin tonight. We do not plan to live feed these sessions, and uh, can anybody guess why we might not do that? So you don't sit at home on your TV and eat popcorn <laughs> at 6.30 on Wednesday nights. So, but however, there would be times that uh, you can't make the service, so they will be online the following day. Uh, we'll post them on our website and on the very, all, all the things we normally use, but it'll be the next day. The handouts will be online. If you don't have, uh, can't come, you can go online to our website and the handouts and the videos will be there hopefully the day after each session. So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into this session. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Uh, we believe it is uh, absolute truth and we seek you to know you, the one true God, through your word. And we pray for your Holy Spirit because without the Spirit, Lord, um, even the words, we won't be able to understand them. So uh, open our minds to understand the scriptures so that we might know you, the one true God and Jesus whom you have sent to save us. So as we start this journey through your appointed times, um, reveal yourself to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. And amen. So have you ever wondered how God looks at time? Do you think he's got a watch, like an Apple watch? How would one that is unaffected by time look at time? If you're in heaven and heaven's eternal, what's the meaning of time? What's the point of time? But while God is not affected by time, we are. And God wants to interact with us. So God uses, and, and this is going to be the whole point of the series, God uses appointed times to interact with us. He's not affected by time, but we are. So if he wants to get to know us, he creates appointed times for the intersections. So God reveals his appointed times to the people of Israel shortly after they've been brought out of Egypt. The book of Leviticus records God's law. Some people call it the law of Moses. And these are the rules that God has established with Israel. Why? These are rules or laws that would allow the people of Israel to live their lives in the presence of God. God with us. We, we use the word Emmanuel to describe it. So I want you to look at three scenes. One is the Garden of Eden, God with us, right? There's no separation. It's God with us. It's God with Adam, God with Eve. Sin separates. And from the Garden of Eden until the time of Moses and the exodus out of Egypt, what happens? You've got no God with us. The, the, the relationship has been broken. 
So when God comes to Moses and he brings them out and he takes them to Mount Sinai, what he announces is that we're going to have a God with us moment again. That God's actually going to come down and live among the people of Israel. But if I'm going to live among you, there's got to be rules. Because my holiness would destroy you unless there's rules for you to live with me and me to live with you. So Leviticus 23.1, the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. The Lord's appointed festivals, celebrations, celebrating what? Celebrating that now, in Moses' time, Emmanuel is going to happen. God, his presence is going to move into the camp of Israel. Do, do you understand that? that? That had been since the time of Adam, that the presence of God had physically manifested itself among the people. And now he's going to come. It's going to be behind in, in a tabernacle, in a tent, behind a curtain, over top of the Ark of the Covenant. But his presence is going to come. And when he, when he does that, he, he creates these appointed festivals. You are to proclaim these official days. They're going to be what I'm going to call the appointed times. God sets the appointed times. Moses didn't do it. Aaron didn't do it. The people didn't do it. God did it. You might wonder why I would teach this series on the appointed times of the Old Testament people of Israel. These appointed times are part of God's Word. And they are each one, and you're going to find this out in the series. They are each one revelations of more than dates from the past. They are, every one of them, all of them, 11. They are revealed mysteries in themselves, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I'll, I'll cut to the chase. I'll tell you the end of the mystery. Every one of them reveals Jesus. All of them. Tonight, you're going to see the first one. All of God's appointed times have an impact on the church. In fact, all of God's appointed times reveal the head of the church, Jesus. Even though these appointed times were set 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. So when Moses and God are having this encounter and Leviticus and he's given them these laws and these appointed times, it's 1,500 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And yet every one of them are going to reveal Jesus, all of them. So it is my plan to cover 11 appointed times in this semester of Roots. We are searching every week for God's message to Israel. That's where it will start. And God's message to the church. That's where we're going to reveal the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So what are they? What are the 11? And I, what I have is the common name and then the Hebrew name beside of it. So the Sabbath, the Passover, the unleavened bread, the first fruits, the ninth of Av, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, booths or tabernacles, the eighth day of Feast of Rejoicing in the Torah, dedication and lots, all God's appointed times. 
We're going to begin tonight with the first, which is the Sabbath. And I am trying as much as possible to go, not just chronologically um, as they are given, but chronologically in the calendar. So if you opened up the Jewish calendar and picked them, um, the first one that you would find, obviously, would be the Sabbath. Now, there's interesting. It is the first of God's appointed times. Now, we all know that the Sabbath comes from what? The seventh day of God's creation. The Sabbath, as we know it today, is Saturday. It is the seventh day in God's created time. His calendar, seven days in a week. And it, in the seventh day of creation was the day that God rested. And that word rested is important. And the word rested in Genesis doesn't mean that he was tired and there's sweat coming off of him and he goes and finds a lazy boy recliner big enough to hold God, pulls the handle. That, that's not what rested mean. What does rested mean? He's finished. And I want you to, even as we begin this session, I want you to think of God in heaven on the seventh day, looking at all that he has made and saying, it is finished. Because that will be what he says again in the future. There's your hint. Genesis 2 verse 1. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and he declared it. Here comes the first appointed time in the Bible. The first one. So he blessed the seventh day and he declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, here's the first interesting tidbit. I wonder how many of you know this. But the seventh day was not called Sabbath until the time of the exodus from Egypt. It was just called the seventh day. The word Sabbath finds its origin in the Exodus when God establishes the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath day became one of God's appointed times, the only one that comes each week. The other ones will come on an annual basis. This one will come weekly. It is the first and it is the most frequent. <clears throat> it, <clears throat> it finds its origin in the creation order which will be the ending today. It finds its created order in the beginning, and it will play a definite part in the ending. Deuteronomy 5 verse 12. <clears throat> Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, what are we talking about? In our calendar, it'd be Saturday. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. For six days each week you are for you to do ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. So let, let's just identify what he's saying. It'll be Saturday. You'll work six days normally. <clears throat> but on the seventh day, 
The Sabbath day is for rest. Now, this is physical rest, that you're going to rest from your labors. They worked hard during the week, but on this day set aside for rest, which stopped working. And it is dedicated to the Lord your God. So while you're stopping your work, your eyes are not on your work. Your eyes are not on your job. Your eyes are on your God. Okay? On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes... um, But this includes your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen, your donkeys, and your livestock, any foreigners living among you, <clears throat> all your male, <clears throat> excuse me, and all your male and female servants must rest as you do. So if there's foreigners, and we, let's call them Gentiles, if there are Gentiles living among the Jewish community, and by the way, if you are a Gentile living among the Jewish community, you pretty much are having to transform yourself into Judaism to be able to live there or you'd make everybody unclean. So he's saying if you've got servants, they must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. Now, this is important. The Sabbath is connected to the deliverance of you from slavery. So the Sabbath, in essence, is a form of celebrating freedom. Freedom. Okay? Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. So if you've got servants that work for you, slaves that are under your authority, they're going to rest along with you because you used to be slaves too. But the Lord your God brought you out with a strong right, a strong hand and powerful arm. This is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. So I want you to put this in your mind. The Sabbath day in this text was a symbol of freedom, okay? It it comes as a celebration of your freedom. So you must extend that freedom to your slaves because you used to be a slave. The Ten Commandments were God's covenant with Israel. And part of that covenant was to set aside one day per week to remember and honor God. So let's go to Exodus 31. The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to to keep my Sabbath day. Why be careful? Is this something that you can take or leave if you're an Israelite, if you're Jewish, if you live in the camp of Moses? Now, Now understand, listen carefully. God has moved into the camp. He's living there. So when this happens, God's living behind the curtain. The presence of God's there. So when Moses says, be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you, between God and man, from generation to generation. The Sabbath, this whole setting aside the seventh day Saturday thing, generation to generation. It is given so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. You must keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day for you. And here it comes. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Now, everybody just stop and let that sink in for a moment. The death penalty of God is associated with what? If anyone desecrates Saturday. 
the seventh day, the Sabbath day. He must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. If you desecrate it, you die. If you sneak around and do some work, you're cut off from the community. You're exiled from the people. Why? Because you would bring judgment on the rest of the camp. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest. A holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. Now here comes the next big point. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. Does this have an expiration date for the people of Israel? No. No. Very, I'm going to explain that later. For in six days, now God is going to do something. He's not just setting aside the seventh day to stop working and think about your God. He's going to connect it. God's going to connect it to the creation event itself, which will be really important later. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. But on the seventh day, he stopped working and was refreshed. And when the Lord <clears throat> finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God. Now, what did he do at the end? God linked the seventh day of the creation to the seventh day of rest. I rested, you will rest. Okay? It's holy because I'm holy and I'm connecting the two. The Sabbath was a holy day to focus on our holy God. It was God's covenant between Israel and himself. If that Sabbath, if that Sabbath covenant, what, what is a covenant? It is a binding agreement between two parties. A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. So when God has given this to Moses, it is becoming a binding agreement between the two parties. If you break the covenant, death would come to individuals and eventually the nation of Israel itself. And it did. Specifically. Because of the Sabbath. It actually ended up being the destruction of not individuals, but the entire nation. And I'll show you that in a few minutes. The next, this next scripture from Ezekiel describes the end of the nation of Judah when God allowed their destruction because of this Sabbath law that God, covenant that God had made. So here we are. Let, let's go from Moses and the beginning of Israel uh, as a people, as a nation. And let's go to ex, let's go to Ezekiel when it's going to be the end of the people. At least they're going to be exiled. Uh, they're going to be uh, dispersed throughout all the nations of the earth. They're going to be, they're going to have to leave Jerusalem. And, and why are they leaving? Why? Why is God doing such a dispersion? Why is he 
lot of them will die, and the ones who live will be scattered across the earth because of Saturday. Because of Saturday. Does God take this serious? Yes, he does. Does God, let me do this. Does God take this serious? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Ezekiel 20. But their children too rebelled against me. This is God explaining it to Ezekiel. They refused to keep my decrees and follow my regulations, even though obedience would have given them life. Let that sink in. Obedience would have given them life. And they also violated my Sabbath days. So again, I threatened to pour out my fury on them in the wilderness. <clears throat> Nevertheless, I withdrew my judgment against them to protect the honor of my name before the nations that had seen my power in the bringing them up out of Egypt. But I took a solemn oath against them in the wilderness. I swore I would scatter them among all the nations. Because they did not obey my regulations, they scorned my decrees by what? They scorned my decrees. So I just want to hold it up. They scorned my decrees by what? By violating my Sabbath days and longing for the idols of their ancestors. So let's look at those two. The first is um, violating rest on Saturday. But there was a second one. They longed for the idols of their ancestors. So idolatry and disobedience to the covenant promise. I gave them, verse 25, I gave them over to worthless decrees. And this one really hit me when I was studying this. So what happens when God turns you over? So, so when we get to this point, he says, I gave them over to worthless decrees. Well, what do you think that means? By the way, that same sentence, different wording, is also found in, in the book of Romans. That there comes a point when I will give you over to worthless thinking. I, I will give you over to worthless decrees, regulations that would not lead to life. Now, now don't read over it because that's important. If you would obey me, Life springs forth from obedience to me. The Sabbath, um, not just the Sabbath, but uh, staying away from idolatry, it generates life. But if you refuse to obey me and you fall into idolatry, I will withhold life. What do you mean you withhold life? I will turn you over to worthless decrees and regulations that would not lead to life. Life stops being produced in the rebellion against God. Because God is life, and if you stop following Him, obeying Him, life is what stops being produced. So what would that be today? Now, I could get sidetracked, and I'm going to be careful not to. When I look at the two giant social issues of our modern nation, modern world, neither produce life. You think that's a coincidence? The abortion industry 
It's, it doesn't, nothing about the abortion industry produces life. It produces death. It's the absence of life. The LBGTQ, you know, that same-sex marriage cannot produce life. A man and a man cannot produce life. A woman and a woman cannot produce life. You, you can do this transgender thing, but you cannot produce life. It can, you cannot do it. And he says this, that there, there comes a point that I will turn you over to worthless decrees. And I'm going to show you the parallel. I'm going to turn you over to worthless decrees and regulations that would not lead to life. That life doesn't come out of what you're about to do. It doesn't produce life. I let them pollute themselves. Then he goes further. I let them. So he, when he turns you over to your worthless thinking that no longer produces life, it only produces death. I let them pollute themselves with the very gifts I had given them. So they take the good things of God and turn them into idolatry or self-centered lives. And I allowed them to give their firstborn children as offerings to their gods. Do you see it? Even then, what was the product? What, when he turned them over to worthless decrees, in Romans it says, I will turn them over to a depraved mind, a reprobate mind. In this case... In Ezekiel, what did it produce? They will give their firstborn children as offerings to their gods. You know, it's child sacrifice. They would sacrifice their children. To, to, to please God, this worthless thinking, they would sacrifice their children. And in the worthless thinking of today's culture, women are sacrificing their children. It's called abortion. So I might devastate them and remind them that I alone am the Lord. Let's go to Ezekiel 23. All of this is connected to the Sabbath. Listen, I, I don't want you to get sidetracked. All of this is connected directly to the Sabbath, to the law of God regarding an appointed time. The Lord said to me, son of man, you must accuse, which is to preach against, Preach against their sin. I want you to accuse Ahola. Now, Ahola, in this case, was Israel and Samaria, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes to the north. I want you to accuse Ahola and Aholabah. That's the southern kingdom of Jerusalem. So that, that's all twelve tribes. I want you to accuse them. I want you to preach against them of all their detestable sins. So what does God want the preacher Ezekiel to do? I want you to preach about their sin. Okay? I want you to preach about their sin. They have committed both adultery and murder. Adultery by worshiping idols. What is adultery? Somebody said, well, it's sex. No, no. Adultery is unfaithfulness. So if a man commits adultery against his wife, he is unfaithful to her. Do you know God also calls adultery unfaithfulness? That, 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 for example, I have entered into a love relationship with God. If I have an affair with the world while I am pledged to him, I am an unfaithful. I am an adulterer. I am a spiritual adulterer in the eyes of God. So... He says to Ezekiel, preach against them. They have committed both adultery, they're unfaithful, and murder. 
Adultery by worshiping idols. There's the unfaithfulness. And murder by how? What did murder? By burning as sacrifices the children they bore to me. In other words, the first fruits of the womb. If you study the Old Testament law, the first fruit of the womb of a woman between the marriage of a man and a woman. The first fruit of the womb was to do what? You dedicated it to God. You didn't sacrifice it and kill it, but you dedicated it to God. So what, what were they doing? What were they doing? They got turned over to a worthless man. And instead of dedicating this firstborn to God alive, they killed it and burned it on an altar to Baal or Asherah or Molech or one of these false gods. Furthermore, they have defiled my temple and violated my Sabbath day. Now, now, listen, here's the reason I make a big deal out of this. From God's perspective, he's putting idolatry and murdering children equivalent to violating the temple and working on Saturday. Well, it's his appointed time. Does it matter what the word says? On the very day that they sacrificed their children to their idols, they boldly came into my temple to worship. They came in and defiled my house. Do, do you know what that means? So I want you to picture this man and woman or whatever the situation is, and they have this newborn baby, and, and this baby's born, and they are under the delusional mind that they can please God or bring blessings upon their family by giving, um, let's say, Moloch. He was the one they did that most to. By going to the, uh, the idol, pagan idol of Moloch, and taking your baby, and taking him to the priest of Moloch, and they would burn that baby, screaming baby, on the fire at the altar. Listen, if that's not bad enough, they would leave the idol of Moloch and come to the Jerusalem temple and come in and worship God. And what did he do? He said, you defiled my temple. You made my temple unclean. You made it where I cannot. What, what's it mean? I cannot meet with you there. I cannot, I cannot come into your presence and you cannot come into my presence because your sin is so grievous to me that if I come into your presence, I'll destroy every one of you. So I got to, so the presence is, is separated. And, and now here's what I want you to do. You know, we, we look at the murder, we look at the child sacrifice, we look at the pagan idolatry, but the Sabbath was in there too. Is that getting anybody's attention? It's going to. Once you figure out what the Sabbath means. Leviticus 26, 33. I will scatter you among the nations and bring out my sword against you. Your land will become desolate and your cities will lie in ruins. Then at last, the land will enjoy its neglected Sabbath years as it lies desolate while you are in exile in the land of your enemies. Now let's stop for a moment. Every seventh year, they were supposed to let, every, they were supposed to let the land lie fallow. So the land was supposed to get a Sabbath too. And, and they were supposed to eat the produce of the land that he'd give them a big sixth year, and on the seventh year, uh, it would lie fallow, and, and you weren't, and it was what? So that you would learn to trust God. 
You just would learn to depend on him. So they didn't do that. And I'll just cut to the chase. They didn't do it for 490 years. So for 490 years, Israel as a people did not do what they were told to do, which was what? Give the land, not, not just every week, but every the seven, every seventh year you let the crops, you didn't plant your wheat, you didn't plant your, your grain, you, you didn't harvest, you just let it go. And, and God supernaturally blessed the earth because you obeyed, right? So I want you to remember that number. They did it for 490 years. So let's go back. Then at last, now let me go back to 33. I will scatter you among the nations. For how long? Will it be connected to this next sentence? I will scatter you among the nations and bring out my sword against you. Your land will become desolate and your cities will lie in ruins. Then at last, the land will enjoy its neglected Sabbath years as it lies desolate while you are in exile in the land of your enemies. Then the land will finally rest and enjoy the Sabbath it missed. As long as the land lies in ruins, it will enjoy the rest. You never allowed it to take every seventh year while you lived in it. So, okay, look at the two parts. I'm going to exile you, and while I exile you, finally the land will get what I told the land it was going to get. It was going to get 70 years when nobody farmed it and nobody harvested it. When did it happen? Israel was exiled in Babylon for 70 years. Coincidence? For 490 years leading up to the exile of Babylon, for 490 years they did not obey the Sabbath law for themselves and for the land. If you take 490 divided by 70, by 7 you get 70 years. You get 70 years. So God said, you didn't do it, I'll do it for you. You don't follow me, I'll do it without you. In 586 BC, it was all gone. The nation, the temple, it's all gone. Everything's gone. They're scattered. Most of them died. Those who survived the siege of Jerusalem were carried off as slaves in Babylon, but the nation of Israel and then Judah were gone. They had violated the Lord's appointed time, the Sabbath. Now, if you study the Scripture over and over and over throughout the Old Testament, you'll find two things that always popped up. Idolatry and the shedding of innocent blood. Now, this is important. Idolatry and the shedding of innocent blood. Now, the Sabbath was in there too. But the two things that took them down eventually was idolatry, which they worshiped false gods, and shedding of innocent blood, they killed their children. Sound familiar? That brings us to the New Testament. So let's connect some dots. That brings us to the New Testament and to Jesus, almost 600 years after the fall of Jerusalem. How did Jesus deal with this appointed time? How did Jesus deal with the Sabbath? Did he abolish the Sabbath or did he fulfill the Sabbath? Because we're followers of Jesus, right? So here we go, Matthew 5, 17. Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses. And what's the Sabbath law? It's a law of Moses, right? 
I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So let me ask everybody a question. We're on the appointed times. We're dealing with Sabbath. What is the purpose of the Sabbath? I just wonder, I smile when I say it, I wonder if I had passed out a sheet of paper to every one of you in advance of tonight and you say, and I say, write down the purpose of the Sabbath. How many different answers would I get? Probably 400. So what is the purpose of the Sabbath? Why do I make a big deal out of that? He says that not even the smallest details of God, detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. What is the purpose of the Sabbath? Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, Sabbath. I came to fulfill or accomplish the Sabbath. What is the purpose? That's why we're here tonight. Matthew 12 now. Jesus went over to their synagogue. And when he noticed a man with a deformed hand, the Pharisees, the Pharisees, they, that's the religious guys. And do you think those religious guys didn't know about the Sabbath law? They, they, they didn't sneeze on the Sabbath. Okay. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? Now, now why are they asking this? Because Jesus already had a run in with them. Jesus liked to heal on the Sabbath. I think he did it just poke his finger in their eye. He liked it. Obviously, he liked it. So he does it. So listen, is it lawful? Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him, but they don't know who he is, do they? And he answers if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think these religious Pharisees, if they had a sheep fall in the well, do you think they would let it die? It's their sheep. No, they would not let it die. You know what? Jesus knows their heart. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. You know what they would do? They'd reach down there and pull that sheep out. You see where he's going? See, they think they're trapping him. And instead of trapping him, they're trapping themselves. If you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, yes. So Jesus comes out and answers. The law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. So, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to accomplish or to fulfill it, to reveal its purpose. So what is the purpose that Jesus is revealing about the Sabbath? He says this, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath should create an opportunity for good, right? So Jesus is going to heal this guy on the Sabbath because that's the purpose of the Sabbath, to demonstrate the goodness of God, the goodness of man, okay? I'm going to do good on the Sabbath. But that's not it. There's more. Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, and that causes a major problem with the Jewish leaders. Why? Because they saw Jesus as one of them. And when I say one of them, 
I'm saying they saw him as legalistic to the law, just like they were legalistic to the law. In other words, they saw the law, but they did not see the intention of the law. They just saw rigid rules without God, just rules, no God. And the evidence of that, they're standing in front of God and they can't see him. They're standing in front of God. You know who they're standing in front of? Emmanuel, God with us. And they can't recognize him. Why? Because all they can see is rules. Now, church, there's something to be learned here. If, if this is just a book of rules, you'll miss who he is. Are there rules? Yes, there's rules. Are there laws? Yes, there's laws. But he, those were there to make us find him. Not find the laws, find him. The purpose is being revealed. Let's go to Mark 2, 23. One Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. Now what's the problem? What's the problem? You can't do that. They're, they're, y'all ever walk through a wheat field? I remember doing that a lot when we were kids. You'd walk through a wheat field and you could, you could pull your hand over the grain of wheat and you and you blow it off and you can eat those little kernels as long as they're dried out. And that's what they're doing. What's the problem? It's Saturday. Okay? But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law? Are they breaking the law? Yes, they are. Okay, let's make it clear. Are they breaking the law? Yes, they are breaking the law. What's the purpose of the law? That's probably what you ought to ask. Why are they breaking the law? By harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Now, I'm going to take a sidetrack. Uh, I'm working on a sermon, and this happens every time I do one of these series, that the topic in the Roots class on Wednesday, which I started working on months ago, ends up line, lining up exactly with the sermon that I'm about to preach. And this is one of those moments, and I've got goosebumps all over my arm. So it's just one of those things that God does to confirm. Haven't you ever read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions, a thousand years before Jesus... They were hungry. He went into the house of God, not the grain field, during the days when Abiathar was high priest and, and broke the law. David, King David, now they love David. He broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only priests, the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. And not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. You see what Jesus is doing? I came not to abolish the law, but to reveal the purpose of the law. Now here it comes. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. The people need rest each week. The people need one day every week to look at God. To meet the needs of the people Jesus is revealing the purpose. 
and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So, and here it comes. Da, 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 da. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So they're criticizing him because his followers are eating grain as they walk. They're hungry and they're eating grain. And they're eating grain under his dominion and under his authority. They're eating grain. And what they don't know is that the Son of Man is Lord. And that word means master over the Sabbath. Don't criticize the master of the Sabbath about the Sabbath. He is the master of the Sabbath. What he says is okay on the Sabbath is what God said is okay about the Sabbath because he is Emmanuel. Now here we go. Let's go deeper. Luke 4.16. When he came to the village of Nazareth, now this is right after his baptism. So Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. He's taken for 40 days out into the wilderness, tempted by Satan. And, and the Bible says the next thing he does is goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and this happens. He came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home. He went as usual to the synagogue. And on the Sabbath, that's when they would meet in the synagogue, and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. So Jesus is looking for something specific in Isaiah. And when he finds it, he reads it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You think anybody in the room thought he was talking about himself? But he is. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and so as that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor, the appointed time, has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. What's he saying? It's me. Isaiah's talking about me. You know what he's saying? I am Messiah. You know what they did? I hope you all know the Bible. You know what they did? They took him over to the cliff and tried to push him over the edge. Why? You know what they said? No, you're not. There's no way. There's no way that some kid from Nazareth is the Messiah. On the Sabbath in his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus reveals he is the Jewish Messiah. They try to push him over a cliff, but his time had not yet come. He said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. You know what he's doing in their presence? He's fulfilling the law. He's announcing his true identity. But what about today? Let's do something. 
If you go to Israel today, and by the way, when we were in Israel just a, uh, what, a couple of months ago, we went to that mount, that, that high place in Nazareth, where they tried to push him over the cliff. And by the way, no one would have survived being pushed over that cliff. But if you go to Israel today, you'll find most businesses closed on Saturday. You can't hardly get anything in Israel on the Sabbath day. Many Jewish families, they go to the synagogue today, right now today. If you go to Jerusalem, they, they are in, in the whole nation of Israel, pretty much. Many Jewish families, they go to synagogue on Friday evening. And by the way, the Sabbath begins at sunset on Friday. And uh, they'll, they'll be in synagogue on Friday or Saturday. And there is even when you go into a hotel, a, a, a kosher hotel, I know a lot of people have a good time with this. They, you go into a kosher hotel and you don't push the button. Because under the Pharisaical law, to push the button would be work. So it just runs on automatic. So on, there's, a, there's a, a Shabbat elevator, a Sabbath elevator. So when you, if you're Jewish, if you're, if, you're, if you're Jewish, you walk into the hotel and you're wanting to go to the 10th floor, that's where your room's at, you, you go in there and you wait until that door automatically opens because you cannot push the button or you're working on the Sabbath. Now, we look at that and say, that's the craziest thing I ever heard of. But to their credit, they take seriously the law. So I was standing in a Jerusalem hotel, the Hotel Dan Panorama, and I was uh, just watching things. And um, three guys walk in the door, and one of them had a yarmulke, and the other two did not. And the yarmulke kind of symbolizes his Jewishness. So uh, the guy with the yarmulke, he walks up to the, to the elevator, and then uh, he walks up, and there's regular elevators for us Gentiles. They, you, you operate them normal. But then there's the, uh, the Shabbat elevator for the Jews. And it's Saturday. So three guys walk in, and the one guy with the yarmulke, he walks over toward um, the elevator, the Shabbat elevator, and the other two guys laugh at him. They laugh at him and said, no. And he said, no, I'm, I'm staying here. I can't understand their language, but I didn't have to. So his two buddies, his two buddies go up the regular elevator and he stands there and he waits because he doesn't want to break the law of God. Um, why, why do I say that? Why do I bring that up? Exodus thirty-one sixteen. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it. From generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day he stopped working. And he was refreshed. That young man believes that's God's word. And he didn't push that button. I don't know what he did when he got to his room. He got in his room. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know how you open the door. I was wanting to follow him up there and say, how do you get the door open? That's right, I'd get arrested. <laughs> so here we go, listen up. So what in the world does all this mean to us Gentiles today? Did you notice that this is a permanent covenant obligation for all time to Israel? We're Gentiles. And in this case, I say hallelujah. Why does the church meet on Sunday instead of Saturday? Are we violating God's appointed time? The Sabbath is a shadow. Listen, 
the Sabbath is a shadow of Messiah. A preview that Jesus reveals and then fulfills. I want you to get this. Jesus is the Sabbath. And I'm going to show it to you. Jesus is God's way for mankind to enter into and experience God's rest. The whole idea of the Sabbath, on the seventh day, God rested. In the Exodus, the seventh day was rest and fellowship with God, right? That was the whole point. Jesus is God's Sabbath. He is the only way we can enter God's rest, the Sabbath of God, the appointed time. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. God's promise, by the way, this is New Testament, church age. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. That's the whole point of the Sabbath. God's promise of entering his rest, that's his presence, still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest. I want you to notice how many times the word rest is used. This good news, I'm going to hold it up. This good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. He's talking about Israel. But it did them, Israel, no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. That's faith. Faith equals entering God's rest. Only we who believe can enter God's rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. That's the seventh day. This rest has been made ready ever since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scripture where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. And, and let me say something. God wants us one day to rest from all of our work in his presence. That's the plan. That's what he wants. Verse 5. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God said another time. What was that one? He said another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. You live in it. It's called the church age. It's today. And God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. For Now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest. Now if you look at the New American Standard and the NIV, it says there is a Sabbath rest. Listen, there is a Sabbath rest still waiting for the people of God. Here's where all this is going today. There is a Sabbath rest still waiting for the people of God. Like right now, there is something coming, something available. 
For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. Remember when I started tonight and God rested on the seventh day? You know, in essence, what he was saying, it is finished. Everything needed for creation, the created order, it is finished. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fail. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, and nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one whom we are accountable. Why did Jesus, what did Jesus say on the cross at the end? It is finished. Everything needed for Sabbath rest was finished. It's finished. Why does the church meet on Sunday instead of Saturday? The Sabbath? The Bible, the New Testament, clearly states that the church, Jews and Gentiles, met together on the first day of the week. They met together on Sunday. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. In Matthew 28, 1, it says, after the Sabbath, as it began to draw dawn toward the first day of the week. Go to Mark 16, 9. Now, after he is risen early on the first day of the week. Why are they making such a big deal about the day that it happened? Because it matters. All four, listen, I want you to get this. All four Gospels describe Jesus' resurrection on Sunday, the first day of the week. It was almost like there would be a new beginning. Everything would start over. Now, instead of the seventh day, it is finished. Now it is the first day it has begun. Something new. But one day that too will finish. It has begun. The book of Acts describes the early church as meeting when? On Sunday. Acts 20, the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. And you all think you've got it rough. 1 Corinthians 16, now regarding your question about money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia on the first day of the week. Why does Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, specifically say on the first day of the week you should put aside a portion of your money you have earned? Don't wait until I get there to collect it. The apostle Paul writes a letter to the Gentile church in Colossae and Galatia about the Sabbath. I want to read Colossians first. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. There was a criticism from the Jews to the Gentiles because they weren't obeying the Jewish Sabbath. For these rules, listen, these rules, Sabbath, are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is the reality. Galatians, before you Gentiles knew God, now he's talking, these aren't Jewish people. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. 
So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you, Paul said to the Gentiles, perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Free from what laws? The truth is this. This is my favorite part tonight. You know what? The truth about this. You can argue about Saturday. You can argue about Sunday all you want to. But the truth is they were meeting together and preaching the gospel in the temple courts every day. Do you get it? They were doing it every day. Read the scriptures. Every day. Every day. Jesus became an everyday reality for the church. He wasn't a Saturday adventure. He wasn't a Sunday adventure. He was every day. He consumed their lives. Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. He is our peace. He is our freedom. When Jesus says it is finished on the cross, the Sabbath was made ready. Our time of rest was made ready. A door opened to the rest of God through Jesus, our Sabbath. And one last thought. I won't have time to go into it in detail, so it's going to be in a teaser. One last thought on the Sabbath rest, God's appointed time. Many believe, and I am one of them. That the millennium is the Sabbath rest of God. When Jesus will reign on the earth for a thousand years. The 1,000 years that will follow the sixth day. The end of the 6,000th year. So I have taught this before here. I hope you, you can catch it tonight. Here's the short version. The Bible's chronology says that we are about 6,000 years from creation to today. 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus, 2,000 years from Jesus to today. Twice in the Bible it says the day unto the Lord is like a 1,000 years and the 1,000 years is like a day. If you take that literally, how many days has it been since creation? Six days. Jesus in Revelation will reign for 1,000 years. Peace will come to the earth. Rest will come to the earth in the millennial reign of Christ. 6,000 years. Now, if you open a Jewish calendar, and I did today, it is right now today, year 5,783. On September 16th, their new year will begin. It's called Rosh Hashanah. It is also called the Feast of Trumpets. It's the same day. It will be year 5784. Now, here's the real point. Nobody knows if that is correct number. Even the Jewish people will say that they have really no absolute ability to know that it's, they believe that number, 5,784, which will happen on uh, September 16th, is from the time of creation to now, 5,784 years. They don't know how close they are to that, but whatever. But I want you to think about something. If the first 2,000 years was Adam to Abraham, there were no Jews. But they offered animal sacrifices. 
Abel, Cain, they offered sacrifices. Noah offered sacrifices. There was blood covering. So from the time of Abraham after Noah to Jesus, the Jewish people, they had 2,000 years to know God through the law. Jesus comes. It's been 2,000 years in the church age. We've gotten 2,000 years just like the Jews got 2,000 years to know God. Not through the law. Through the Messiah. And there will come a day in which that time will close. I don't know when that is. Maybe it's September 16th. I don't know. Do not go out of here and say, Terry said it was September 16th. You can go out of here and say, Terry said he hoped it was September 16th. In a thousand years. Why do I make a big deal? It's called the Sabbath. That the earth will rest for 1,000 years. And two things will make it possible. Jesus will be in Jerusalem physically and Satan will be in prison. And the earth will receive its Sabbath rest. Revelation 20 verse 1. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, the old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and he bound him in chains for a thousand years. What is this? I believe it's the Sabbath rest at the end of the 6,000th year. But we don't know the end of the 6,000th year except this. It's close. He seized the dragon, the old serpent, who is the devil, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, and he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterwards, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and people sitting on them had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. And they had not worshipped the beast nor his statue nor accepted his mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they all came to life again and they reigned. Here's the Sabbath rest. They all came to life again and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's the Sabbath rest. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power. And they will be priests of God and of Christ. And they will reign with him for a thousand years. That's the Sabbath rest of God. God's appointed time. A time of eternal rest. When Jesus' words ring true, it is finished. That's my conclusion on this first appointed time called the Sabbath. But understand this. Everybody will have an appointed time. Hebrews 4, 1 through 3. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear. Right now in this room, we ought to tremble with fear that some of you, somebody that you knows, might fail to experience the Sabbath rest I'm reading about. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. And it did them no good. Why? Because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter this rest. Anybody listening? Only we who believe will enter this rest. It's called faith. As for the others, God said in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my rest. They will experience the second death. Not the rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Tremble with fear or accept God's good news. 
We all have an appointed time. One last scripture, Hebrew 9.27. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with sins. Listen, he's coming back, but he's not going to deal with sins. He's coming back to bring salvation for a group of people. You know who they are? To all who are eagerly waiting for him. All who are eagerly waiting for the Sabbath rest, which is Jesus. I said this last Sunday, I'll say it tonight. Something's coming. I think you ought to tremble with fear that you might fail to experience the Sabbath rest. It ought to make you terrified. But once you have Christ inside of you, that fear, that bondage is gone. We are free. And we actually eagerly wait Him. Next, next week will be the Passover. That'll be the topic. And I pray that you come stick with me through these sessions. I'll, I'll just tell you, we'll get into more and more of this Sabbath rest and the thousand years and all that as you get into these other topics. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this rest that you have set out in front of us, that one day we will receive the rest of being able to experience your presence in eternity. And I pray, Father, thanksgiving that it is finished. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.